you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix, Arizona, that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. We started this undesired Lenten journey as a community, one of those that left you asking, what is next, God? What would you have us do? And week after week, we were on Zoom, and I felt Zoom. Didn't want to be on Zoom, but I'm one of the pastors, so I had to be on Zoom. And we met week after week after week, and some people we had only known through the screen, and we're just looking back at that, the hindsight, the fact that that, that time had a special place in who we were becoming and who we were forming, even though we didn't choose that Lenten journey, it's the one that we got. We are now in a new season of Lent, and it seems like it's unrelenting. I just thought of that. I promise I didn't write that down. But it just keeps going and going and going, doesn't it? We could list all of the things that have been happening over and over, over this past year, and even going back into history, all the things that plague our society and our communities, our country and the countries around the world, and we would be exhausted. We wouldn't have enough time or energy or paper or words to describe the implications that our distance from God brings to this earth. And here we are in the fifth week of Lent. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm ready for Easter. I'm ready for Easter. I'm ready to sing like we just sang, talking about overcoming the grave and defeating of sin and death and shame and us reclaiming this world for the kingdom of God. I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready for Easter. But we're in Lent. And I want us to sit here for a moment. Where we're at, who you are, all the things that's happened in your life today or the past week or even the past year, just yourself, just close your eyes in this space right now. This time is important. Our prayers to be present in the uncomfortability of the fifth week of Lent as we join Jesus in the wilderness. Breathe it in, the noise, the surrounding, the chaos, if you will. And breathe out and know that God is here. We are here for a reason. And God loves us and we need each other. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to journey together as a community. God, to speak of the things that give us life. God, with our hurts and our hangups and our roadblocks and our dead ends, we give those to you now. We give you our doubt. We give you our guilt. We give you our shame. We give you our restless minds. God, we give you depression, anger, outrage, ideologies. God, we give you our stories in this moment. You're a good God. We don't understand you all the time, but we know that we're loved. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we pray.
Amen. So as Kaleo going through Lent, we decided that we were going to go through the Old Testament because we thought that would be fun. And we started with God destroying the earth in the flood. And that was a very fun Sunday. If you would like to go back to the beginning of Lent and journey with us, you can go to kaleophx.com. It should be on the website under practices. Scroll down, you'll see sermons. But that's where we started. God was so upset with his creation that he sent a flood to wipe out humanity. Yet there was one faithful man with a faithful family and they rode out the chaotic waters. And God, this warrior God, hung up his unstrung bow facing away from earth, pointing towards himself saying, I will never do this again. Looking at Noah, giving him nothing to do on his side, just a unilateral promise to limit himself to say, I will not kill. And then what do we have? We have Noah getting drunk and naked in a tent and sin raged on, but it was a little different this time for God had made a different promise. So we started with the promise to Noah and we moved to Abram. And Abram and Sarah were given multiple promises to God and that was to bless the whole earth, to make mighty the generations that followed them. All that was required besides a name change was that they walk in the ways of God in obedience. That's not super vague, is it? as we listen to the promises of God and try to understand the scripture that tells us what God is like, God just said, walk in my ways. And Abraham said, okay, but did he? Yeah, no, but yeah, kind of. So sin and separation from God and man continued to rage. There we have Moa, Moa. It's uh, actually Noah's son that he named Moa. No, Moses. And that's a, yeah. I actually realized that I said uh, Moses came off the ark at the sermon talking about Noah. And that was, just, that was amateur rookie mistake. But it happens. We are fallen, separated from God. And it shows itself in the raw community of the church. But we have Moses, and Moses is called by God. You will deliver my people. God saw his people, and they were enslaved, and they were being worked to death. And for generation after generation, up to 400 years, God heard his people, and he sent somebody who seemingly was unqualified. And Moses goes, and he speaks the word of the Lord, and he delivers the Israelites, and they cross the Red Sea, and it's a dramatic, intense, crazy moment where God shows his fidelity to his people by delivering them from oppression, and God says this, I am the Lord your God. Then he gives Moses some commands, and these commands boil down to what God is like and how we are to relate to God and to people. Not too hard, a little bit more specific than the Abrahamic promise of just walking my ways. Now we have his ways lined out, and it's called the law, the Torah. We have it, God and his people. So they're wondering 
And last week, we get to hear the complaints of this people who have been delivered. They complain over and over and over. We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. The food here is terrible. Let's go back to Egypt. And last week, Chris preached a message about the Israelites, the Hebrews, the nomadic people going to the promised land, being bitten by snakes. That was a fun one. So floods and snakes and all of the wandering in the wilderness, the people cried out to God. And God saw the plight of his people who were snake bitten and the same thing that was used to inflict pain was the same thing that was lifted up as a sacrament to give healing. God's promise was a God who heals. Just keep your eyes on him. So they get to the promised land. And as we know through reading scriptures, everything is fine. It's all good. They got there. They arrived. The end. No, we know that's not true for Israel wandered away again, even though they got to their idealized destination. They sinned against God. They took on the gods of the people around and among them, and they worshiped idols. And God sent his judgment, and they repented, and they lamented, and they turned back to God. They looked back, they cast their eyes, and they were restored only to go astray again and again and again and again. The people strayed. Now, we have today a very fun passage in the book of, ne or uh, not Nehemiah, not yet, Jeremiah, a different name. And before we get to this text of today, we need to set the context of Jeremiah and what's going on. The people were again, doing wicked in the eyes of the Lord. And this book, this prophet wrote from between 622 to 587, where there's a reign of Josiah, one of the kings who reforms, they turn back to God. And then again, there is a rebellion or the people again, turn away from God. And Jeremiah writes in this, there's the Babylon empire is rising up and Egypt is fighting against this rising thing because Assyria has suddenly, they've, they've been defeated and there's this power vacuum. So there's a fight and Palestine, the people of Israel are placed in this, this area that is very strategic because it's a highway for trade and commerce and for defensive purposes. So Israel time and time again, find their places being occupied by foreign invaders because of the strategic purposes of this promised land. It is actually interesting why God would place his people in such a strategic place where empire after empire would fight over this territory as if God knew something about that place geographically. But they find themselves yet again at the face of those who want to oppress and to conquer and to destroy who and what they are. And in that temptation, does Israel lean on Yahweh saying, no, our God who delivered us from the Red Sea, who cured us from the snake bites, who gave us the manna from heaven, who continually helped us conquer our enemies? and get to this promised land, will fight for us and be with us. No. Again, they turn away as if they were incapable even of upholding their end of the bargain. Well, 
Babylon comes in and raised the temple of Jerusalem, dragged away King Zedekiah off in chains. They destroyed the two symbols of God's covenant fidelity. The people of Judah faced a crisis. Not only had they lost power and prestige, freedom and security, they had also lost God, or at least the assurance of God's faithfulness, which may very well be the same thing. The people of God, this time, it's for real. There's no coming back. Babylon comes in and sweeps away everything, destroys the temple, which represented the very presence of God. And so now this people who had been given an identity of a people of the one true God now don't have their temple, don't have their Davidic monarchy, don't have their land, and they're taken off in chains and displaced and taken to be a nomadic identityless people yet again. And God, through the prophet Jeremiah, has some strong words to say. He announces this judgment. He lets them know why this is happening over and over again. It is very difficult for these people at this time as they have utterly lost everything. It's like give them a break even. Their journey their wilderness, the conquest against them is unrelenting. And over and over and over again, they find themselves at the hands of their oppressors. When will it end? When will it end? You know, those are the murmurings around them. I don't think that they were just running away and thinking, you know what? That God looks better. That temple's a little prettier. These people seem to have their stuff together. These people are turning to the things because they have actual real pain. God seems to them distant at times. And we see it now. The story of Israel is still the story of God's people. Where over and over we find ourselves walking away and we're crying out in the wilderness asking God, where are you? One hesitates to make hasty parallels between the experiences of people of Judah in 587 as they've been completely wiped out, as their stuff has been destroyed, as their temple raised to the ground, to what's going on in our lives now. It's a hard comparison, but it's one that is deeply felt in all of our sufferings because all of our sufferings are very real things that happen. We all have our own traumas. We all have our own things that cause discomfort and pain, and it has just perverted this world to the point that we are not immune from it. The fact that we are living and breathing and have relationships with other people mean we are open to the possibility of being hurt by them. And in that hurt, it's easy to run away from it. It's easy to turn to other things. We numb ourselves by scrolling or by drinking or by surrounding ourselves with noise and other people. Whatever that thing is, we have a numbing pandemic that's going on in our country even right now as we don't want to look at what pain is doing to us. That's why so many people are silent when tragedy after tragedy happens in our communities because then we have to address real, actual problems. It's easier to say it doesn't exist, to grab a beer, to check out, and to numb. Yesterday, 
I was doing some work in my backyard and I was stacking some bricks, some heavy cinder block bricks, and my finger forgot to get out of the way as I dropped one and I smashed it. And I'm not gonna show you it because it's my middle finger and that would be inappropriate, but I really want to, it's very tempting to do it but it's bruised and bloody and it hurt extremely bad. Now I was telling our friend Raven earlier when I did that, what I did was the typical, I smashed it, I looked at it and I took a walk. I got away. I just, I, I took off. I, I didn't run cause I'm an adult man, but I walked, I got away from the situation. I got to the edge mainly to be away from my family who might see me. And I squatted like this. And I just said, mm, mm, and I'm still feeling it now. It is throbbing and the pain hurts. And I really just desperately want it to go away. And that is a physical pain that happens. But the symbol of the walking away, you know, running it off, twist the ankle and you hop away, like get away from the scene. That's what we do to pain to human pain. And that's what Israel was doing to their pain, to the things going around them politically, militarily, economically, all of the things going on in their lives. They were real people, so we have to humanize them. It is funny to sometimes look and say, wow, they don't get it. Wow, they don't get it. But we're thinking generation after generation, there's a lot of time. And with time, there's more possibility for pain. And with pain, people experience suffering. These are people of God that just cannot hold up their end of the bargain. They can't do it. God has tried. Centuries, millennia, God is trying. And he's trying. And he's trying. He sees his people. And yes, he's outraged at some of the things because he really does just want the very best for them. But they insist I'm doing it a different way. My son is two years old and he wants to get out of the hiking pack all the time. And it's very annoying. And sometimes I let him and I hold his hand and he tries to hop down and he makes these loud noises like, like he's actually doing something. But I'm just holding him scared that I'm going to dislocate his shoulder as he jumps from rock to rock. And he just wants to let go of my hand. But as soon as he does that, there's a very strong possibility that he is going to seriously hurt himself. I mean, Talk like the, the faith he has in his capability is unparalleled. It is just unbelievable, but jumping and going. But I hold that hand and I keep him up and I just think, you have no idea what will happen to you if I actually let go. And God has his people and he's holding their hand. And what happens when Babylon comes through, God, he lets go. He lets go. Because over and over and over, this tired story competes itself in this unbreakable cycle. And God weeps. He weeps on the Mount of Olives looking over his city. He weeps in the person of Jesus Christ. He weeps. But amongst all of this, and the distance we might feel from God at times, there is this glimmer of hope. We read Jeremiah chapter 31 states, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But, always important to read that one, but this is the new covenant. I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instruction deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord for everyone. And I repeat, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. That's the word of the Lord. We're thankful for in the ashes of our despair and the utter abandonment we might feel from the divine, God sees his people and is willing to adjust and to change and to state there was an old way, but I am blazing a trail to make it new. But before we can get to that place, because we want to run to Easter, we want to run away to Easter, but we are still in Lent. The reality is there is suffering and God offers this glimmer of hope for this new possibility, but we still must address the suffering. We still are present in the discomfort of the reality that sin exists and it messes with the soul of creation. It is very difficult. In a play, The Living Dead, written by the French existentialist philosopher, Jean-Paul Sartre, and I did say that right, there's a scene that takes place in the Nazi-occupied France where there's a resistance, and their resistors are captured and placed in this attic, and they are abused, and they're waiting for the next day, and they will be executed. It's a very dire scene, and you can feel the anxiety in the room when all of a sudden the door flings open and a man is thrown in. This man was breaking curfew. Little did the Nazis know, though, this man that was getting thrown in to be held till the next morning, not to be killed because he was just breaking curfew, wasn't part of the resistance, was actually the leader of the resistance. The people in the room, their anxiety turned into this courage and they said, we will not say a word. And he says, for that, I thank you. The resistance thanks you. France thanks you for your courage will not be un." noted. A voice cries out in the room, the voice of a woman who we later find out is actually his fiance. And she says these words, oh, shut up. Nothing you could say could possibly mean anything to us. I am not blaming you. The fact is that you are a living man and I am a dead woman and the living and the dead have nothing to say to each other. And that fact puts us, puts on this unpenetrable barrier between us. Oh, shut up. She cries out for he is not going to lose his life. He couldn't possibly understand the threat that they're under. Let's be honest with ourselves. Have we felt like that? Are you tired? Exhausted even? Ran out of energy? annoyed, frustrated, perplexed by all the things going on in the world, even the seemingly silence that the church tends to offer. 
even the fact that the church seems to operate in a role that counters this kingdom that Jesus has been preaching, doesn't that frustrate you? Like the prophet Jeremiah smashing pots and being upset with the people, doesn't that frustrate you? Aren't you tired? Each and every one of us. Are you sad? Are you lonely? Are you angry? What do you feel? Y'all didn't expect a therapy session, did you? How does that make you feel? What a challenging question. We don't like to feel. I don't. I talked about how you feel. I ask those questions a lot. Don't ask me how I feel. I will give you some just pretentious answer real quick. I'll say the right words. I will. How do you feel? Another moment of silence, if you will. Close your eyes. We're in the attic fighting this battle. And we're losing. We're being abused. The door flings open. And the leader of the resistance is thrown in. But now instead of the figure from the play, this leader of this resistance is Jesus Christ. And he looks at us and says, you have fought well. You have resisted well. Take heed, your courage will not go unnoted. I will tell my father what you have done. And the voice rises in your soul. And you want to say, ah, oh, shut up. For you're living and we are dead. For you are living and we are dead. But then Jesus looks at you tenderly. And he says from John 12, 24 through 25, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. I'm not a living man talking to just dead people. I'm a man who went to the cross and who is asking you to join me. You can open your eyes. The promise of this new covenant suggests that the old covenant has been irreparably broken. Perhaps, as the prophet claims, it is broken because the people are incapable of keeping their end of the bargain. Thus, the good news is that the new covenant will be unilateral or perhaps still bilateral, but with God playing both sides, I will put the law within them. Ultimately, we were unable to reverse our side and we continue to rebel and we feel it still. But God sees us and grabs us by the hand and says, I will make you a new promise for we will all die and therefore find life. We will all die and find life. 
God taking on the human body, the human temptations, the human suffering, the human plight, all of the things that make us human, God put on himself to experience with us in this relatable way because God refuses to let us go. Sure, we collect our scrapes and our bruises and our pain, but God refuses to let go, relentlessly following us into the depths of the darkness of the world, knowing that all this pain and all this chaos is just the death throes of an old system that will be no more. But in the meantime, we live in that in-between of the now, but not yet, as he says in Jeremiah, we won't even need to teach. This won't even need to happen. We don't even have to pull this because the word will be written on our hearts. And that's what we look forward to in Easter. And then the Easter to come, the second Easter, the second rising. But until then, we're gonna end in the most kaleo way possible. And we're gonna sit in this tension of the pain and the not yetness as we patiently wait for Easter. The band's gonna come up. I just pray that you embrace this awkwardness of silence for a few moments. God, we're listening. With our hearts and our ears, we're listening. And we place our hope in you. As Jürgen Moltmann says, in the promises, the hidden future already announces itself and exerts its influence on the present through the hope it awakens. God, we pray to be enlightened by this hope. God, that we're a courageous people that embraces the vulnerability that pain exists and that we have distance from you and each other. Hope exists. God, that while we might feel alone and in this darkness and the sadness and the pain, the utter helplessness, God, we know that hope exists and you will not let go of our hand. We confess to you that there are things that we do that alienates us from yourself and one another and we repent that, God. God, there are things that happen in this world and we stay silent and we repent for those things, God. And over and over and over we go, but we know that at the end of the day, that hope exists and we live in that promise how we lean into that promise. We're infected by that promise. We're propelled by that promise. And we know that you are God. 
We love you. We need you. We're thankful for you. Despite the people's infidelity, despite corrupt kings and priests, despite injustice and exploitation, despite idolatry, despite all the ways the people have broken faith with God, God will not break faith with them. Instead of yet another word of, in, of judgment, the people receive a lavish promise, unexpected good news. God will bring newness out of destruction. God will bring hope where there is not hope. God will bring life out of death. God will make a way where there is no way. And for that, we thank you. And we place our hope in you. And we lean into each other and the relationships that are being formed now. As we sit in the reality that things are not quite as they should be. But we have hope that all things will be to the glory of God. As we reflect that goodness and that hope. Jesus, we love you. We thank you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. I can't see what you're doing I know that you're proving
how you were my portion Cause I'm never enough And I'll testify of the seas that we For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.